Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. We are going to start a little something new. Um, we're going to take four weeks. What's that? Uh-oh. Was that an uh-oh? Oh, come on, guys. We're, we're, we're going to wait to start Genesis 2 until February, okay? Because Valentine's Day and Genesis 2 go together really well. Um, but, but what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the first few weeks of January to talk about, um, I don't know how to put it, but the word evangelism is the word I want to use. You guys, be, uh, if you're new, we always do... Um, we always take questions after this part, not always, but most of the time we take questions. And one of the questions that you all have consistently asked over the last two years since we've been taking questions is, okay, so if the gospel isn't exactly what I thought it was, and church isn't exactly what I thought it was, and spiritual life isn't exactly what I thought it was, what does it mean to actually share my faith with people? I thought like that's the central thing that we're supposed to be doing. And we've got so many questions about this that we thought, well, let's take, let's take a couple of weeks to sort of explore how particularly the New Testament conceives of a community of people living in such distinction to normal human life that they kind of exert a gravitational pull into their community. And so um, the word evangelism, of course, for a lot of people has a lot of different connotations. Um, if you've ever been the object of someone trying to evangelize you, you know how great that probably felt. Um, if you've ever been in a church that measures whether or not they're doing God's work by how many people pray a prayer, uh, then you also know there's a bit of pressure doing that. So we, we want to just take a much broader and deeper and more human view as to what it is that we talk about when we talk about bearing witness is going to be the title of the series. So we do that for four weeks. Um, and then we're going to jump into Genesis 2, and then it will be Easter, and then who knows? Who knows where we'll go after that? So uh, what I want to start today with, oh, and by the way, uh, text questions, you can text questions to this phone number. Kevin is back and doing his class, Convos with Kev today during the 11 o'clock service. So we highly, highly encourage um, our community to be curious to discern, to listen, to wrestle, and so we provide lots of avenues for that because, again, the, the, the answers and the responses aren't always great, but the questions matter, and it matters that we can ask them with God's blessing and approval and not, you know, God's shaking his head at our doubts. So uh, we want to start today by talking about the difference between names in uh, 21st century America and names in the Bible. So naming in 21st century America for most, I don't, know, I don't know how it is for you younger folk. When my wife and I were pregnant, we, we selected names that we thought sounded cool with my last name, Erie, which isn't a lot. There's not a lot there, right? You can't do Terry or you can't do, like, you can't do Y names or IE names. And we were like, okay, so what's going to sound good? It, it wasn't like we prophesied and received a word from the Lord and said, oh, he shall be called Nathaniel because he will have a Nathaniel kind of life. We just thought, oh, Nathaniel, that's a cool name. It's a Bible name. It means something and in Hebrew. And we thought, oh, this is great. 
Hannah, Seth, all the same, all the same way. And so Americans typically name things as just tags. There's nothing inherently linked between what you call something and what it is, right? I could have, I, I, my name is Mike, but there was no inherent Mikeness to my life that drew my parents out to calling me Mike, right? I could have been called Larry or whatever. Um, and, and thank you, mom and dad. Um, and so, so in the Bible, though, naming is really, really a different experience. Names, as you probably know, are connected to the thing, to something about the thing they're naming. So very often a place, something will happen in a place, and you will name that place on the basis of what happened there. So anytime you're at that place or hear about that place, it connects you to the thing that happened at the place. Or oftentimes, God, if God gets a hold of somebody and he reshapes their destiny, God will rename them in light of this new thing that God's doing, right? So names matter. Names connect you to the person that bears the name. So when we get to God's name, God's name isn't just what you call him. God's name is a revelation of who he is, of his essence. His name is like tied to his intrinsic nature, not just a tag that you call him. And in that way, names are far different from titles, correct? We have all sorts of titles in our world today, pastor, which I refuse to answer to, doctor, um, um, uh, American citizen, whatever. Uh, but when we, when we know somebody, when we're familiar with somebody, we call them by their name, correct? That's a sign of intimacy. That's a sign of um, uh, informality. My wife doesn't call me uh, Michael unless she's angry. Um, normally, it's just Mike. She doesn't call me fellow taxpayer, um, right? That would be weird. So normally, we don't refer to each other by titles unless we don't know each other. In the scriptures, there's this beautiful encounter in Exodus 3 where God reveals himself to a man named Moses. Moses has some thoughts, some objections. We need to think this through and process this. And reveal, God reveals God's name to Moses in that. So Exodus 3.13, God has lots of titles throughout the Old Testament. But this is the only time we're given his name. Moses said to God, Okay, God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, which doesn't really clear it up. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, Moses grew up in an Egyptian uh, the, an Egyptian environment where there were tons of gods and goddesses, and they all had names. And the interesting thing about the Egyptian names, the god of the sun or the god of fertility or the god of crops or whatever, their names would tell you how you can, um, what, those, what that god represented, the power it brought to bear, but also how it is that you could appease that god. So packed into the name of a god was all sorts of information about a god. Moses was reared in an environment where all these gods had different names. So it's not surprising when this God, the God of you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob shows up to him, Moses says, okay, well, what is your name? And God gives this great, it's in Hebrew, it just, it's literally a, a play on the verb to exist, to be. So the, he literally says, my name is, I exist. I, in contrast to all the pretender Egyptian gods, I actually am. I'm real, in other words, which is 
just the sweetest name in the history of the planet. So, hey, God, what's your name? I exist. Cool. Then he says, so when God refers to God's self, it's I am in the first person. Then he says, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. When Jesus walks around in the book of John saying, before Abraham was, I am, like you could not more clearly attach yourself to godness than by using that sort of phrase in front of a Jewish audience. But that's what God calls himself. What God says to Israel is in verse 15, say to the Israelites, and then what's the phrase? The what? Lord, all caps, correct? Have we gone over this before? I don't remember. Okay, all right, so you're looking a little like I expected you to know that. The Lord. Now, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is uh, four Hebrew consonants that are called the Tetragrammaton, if you're interested in impressing your friends. And um, these Hebrew consonants are Y-H-V or W-H. Uh, there, aren't, there aren't vowels in Hebrew, there are vowel markings, but those stop being pronounced uh, around the divine name. And so we don't know how exactly it's pronounced. Our best guess is Yahweh. And it's the third person form of the verb, I am. Which means when God says to when Moses, Moses says, hey, what's your name? I am. You are to call me, he is. That's what Yahweh means. He exists. He's real, the third person form. So 6,800 times in the Old Testament, when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the divine name, Yahweh, all right? The Jews, um, over the course of a generation, stopped pronouncing the name, and they would refer to it as like the name, Hashem, or they would, they would substitute uh, Adonai or Jehovah. Um, so we're not quite sure how it's pronounced, but here, in this, in this very early part of the Christian story, you have God giving his name. Not his title, he has loads of titles, but this is his name. And the name, he says to the Israelites, the Lord, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to, God, to generation. So is God's name a big deal to him? Yeah, 6,800 times. When you see capital L-O-R-D, that is the transliteration of those four consonants. Are you with me so far? Now, because God's name stood for God's character, his essence, unlike Micahness, God has a godness to him. It's not surprising when we get to the Ten Commandments, there's a command about misusing the name, correct? Fire it up if you would. I, rem I, I learned the, the Ten Commandments in kind of a, another version. So the version I learned is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. A little better translation is the one here, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So to take God's name in vain, I was always taught meant to use Jesus Christ as a cuss word. But it's interesting because the word misuse here is a combination of two different words. It's, it's one word is to attach or lift or carry. And the other word is empty or disappointing or vacuous. So it's, it's the idea, do not attach God's name to anything empty. 
Do not attach God's name to anything that disappoints the hope that rests on it. Do not carry God's name in an empty way. You see how much broader that is than just don't use cuss words. Do you see that? I'm just, I'm gonna wait till I hear from this crew over here. All right, yeah. Kevin, that's the whole rest of the sermon. It's the whole, Kevin asked, hey, can you give me an example of how you can do that? That's the whole, you're a genius. They just, just softballs, absolutely. Now, <laughs> this is all to set up the idea that God's name is a big deal. And in the Old Testament, God's name does weird things. So I want to show you three examples in the Old Testament of how God's name rests on things or gets attached to things. First example, Exodus 23. This is when uh, the Israelites are going to head out, see God said, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my what? Is what? In him. So here is some sort of spiritual being that carries the name of Yahweh. And so you are to respect the spiritual being as you would respect Yahweh because he carries the name of Yahweh. The name, which is a connection to God's character and presence, dwells in this being. Are you with me? That's one example. Second example, Deuteronomy 12. Again, Moses talking to Israel. You will cross the Jordan River and settle into the land your God, the Lord your God, is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. Then to the place the Lord God will choose as a dwelling for his name. So his name can rest in a being and his name can rest over a place. And if you're like, well, how does that exactly work? Well, evidently when you're in that place, you're connected in some way to the presence of Yahweh. When you bear his name, you're in some way connected to the presence of Yahweh. Third example Micah chapter four, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we walk in the what? In the name of the Lord, our God forever and ever. So somebody can carry God's name, a place can like have God's name over it, or a way of life can be said to be lived in a way that is congruent with the name of God. Are you seeing how this is used? The name of God isn't just this thing that you call him, but it rests on people and places and ways of life. So that, that people who bear his name are expected to act in a way that is congruent with the name they bear. The places that bear his name are expected to be places where he meets with his people. The life, the way of living, the walking of life in his name is expected to live in a way or to act in a way that is congruent with the name that that way of life bears. Are you with me on this? Kinda? Okay, questions are coming, fantastic. Now, for Israel, 
they bore the name of Yahweh. They literally carried his name. And what that meant for them is that they were to live in such a way so as to the nations would see how good it is to live under the rule of Yahweh and say, hey, I want to be a part of that. They were to live in a way that demonstrated Yahweh's character and Yahweh's goodness and Yahweh's justice and Yahweh's mercy. So literally, when they carried the name of Yahweh, they were representatives of Yahweh to the nations. Are you with me? And how good a job did they do? What's that? A C? Literally a C. A red C. But they, they didn't do so great, did they? That's so bad, I know. But Kevin's on fire. How good did they do? They did a pretty poor job. In fact, they get exiled from the land because they carried the name of Yahweh so poorly. So, as sweet Ezekiel, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to restore you, but for the sake of my name, which you have profaned. Profaned here just means you've made common my name. There's nothing unique about you. Even though the real God, the I am, the I'm real and exist, that God dwells among you, there's nothing unique about you to separate you from all the other nations of the world. And so the people who bear my name are just like the people who bear the name of anyone else. That's what it means to profane it. So I'm going to rescue you, not because you guys are awesome, but because you are attached to my name. And when you profane my name, my name is profaned in front of the nations. Are you with me? I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. So here's the picture. God's name matters. And and, uh, contrary to Western thinking, names actually stand for the person, invoking, like in Harry Potter, if you say Voldemort, maybe this isn't a great example, but, but like in that mythos, right, to invoke the name was to invoke the person. And so, what's that? Beetlejuice? Okay, let's, yep. I'm gonna stop this train right here. <laughs> Things that won't make it to the 11 o'clock. Um, but that does illustrate the, the, way, the way names are connected to the presence of a person. And God's name is weird in the sense that God puts his name over people and places and ways of living. And the people who bore his name in the Old Testament, the Israelites, didn't carry his name in a manner that revealed Yahweh to the nations. Rather, they just were like all the other nations. And so Yahweh is like, okay, well, guys, we're going to take you out of the land. Um, I'll restore you, but it's not for your sake that I do this. It's actually because my reputation is tied up with yours that I do this. Are you with me? Now, maybe you see the train coming, but it's not shocking that in the New Testament, we find a community of people bearing a different name. So Acts chapter 5, um, this is when the, the, uh, two of the disciples or apostles are, have been beaten uh, for preaching Jesus. They called the apostles, Acts 5.40, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the what? For the name. So they were preaching in the name of Jesus. What's that mean? They were preaching what Jesus preached. But they also suffered disgrace, the same disgrace that Jesus suffered because of their preaching. And so they saw themselves bearing the name of Jesus and, and they rejoiced because how Jesus was treated, they were being treated, which is so upside down to us. See, in, in the New Testament, everyone bears the image of God, but not everyone bears the name of Jesus. Okay, we've talked in Genesis 1, image bearers are all around us, right? We all bear the image of God. But, but to God's covenant people, they bear his name uniquely. Not just his title, but his name. And as they bear his name, they're to live and act in a way that reveals the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of that name to the nations. That's the goal. Or First Peter says this, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's interesting. So God's presence here is attached to his name. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Okay, you meddlers, enough. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear what? That name. Now, think about this for a second. What does it mean to share your faith? See, I was, when, when I was younger, I was, it was called evangelism, but it was also called, called witnessing. Have you ever heard that phrase? We're gonna go witness. And, and as, as much as I kind of look back at that and go, oof, um, there, there, was, there was something to that, but I think it was a little misdirected because the idea is that going witnessing was something you do, it's not something you are. And I think what, this, what the scriptures talk about is when we are Christ's, we bear his name and we're always bearing his name. There's not a moment that you're not bearing his name. There's not a moment that you're not witnessing. So to think, oh, I'm gonna go and intentionally share my faith, you're, you're always sharing your faith. It's just what faith are you sharing? What, what are you bearing witness to? Are you bearing witness to an angry, judgmental God and your wrath and fury to people not like you? Are you bearing witness to the American dream and the way you slavishly devote yourself to money? Right? Are you, are you bearing witness to the, the false promise that some politician's gonna save us? Right? So we are witnesses. We don't just witness. And that, oh my goodness, that totally reshapes how it is that I engage with the world. I mean, think about what it is to take God's name in vain, to attach it to an empty thing. What are empty things that God names gets attached to? What? Promises, yes. Oh, that's so good. Yes, God will make you this. In 2024, the word I have for you is overabundance. Come on. 
Yes, thank you. What, are the, uh, what other empty things is God name, God's name attached to? Businesses. Oh, yes. Let me put a fish on it. <coughs> and we're good. Good. What else? Cars have fishes on them. Oh, that's funny. Kevin's does it. Exactly. I, remember, I met somebody who had a fish on their car, and they're like, man, I really cut people off and flip people off all the time. And I said, well, you've got two choices. Drive, and they said they have a fish on their car, the Christian fish. And I was like, well, drive in a way that matches the fish. Or what she did was take the fish off. So <laughs> that's fair. That's totally fair. What other, what, other, what other things, empty things, do we attach God's name to? Causes? Oh, yes. Absolutely. What else? I heard it. Politics. Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, the, if you just want to, if you just want to like get out of the political nonsense, just listen for all the spiritual language that gets hijacked so that if you are not supportive of this candidate, you are opposing God. I mean, there could not be a greater blasphemy and that the church is a part of this. And it doesn't matter which direction. It doesn't. I mean, even using spiritual language to justify war and some of the atrocities in the American past, I mean, it just, it's just awful. Vote for who you want to. Just don't attach God's name to your party. There's no political party that fully captures the glory of the kingdom of God. We'll get more into that as we get closer to November, but... The thing, the thing that, see, I always thought, I always thought the problem is all we got to do is we've got to put the Ten Commandments back in schools and people need to stop cursing and using the name of Jesus in vain. The problem is that's not what this all is talking about. This is talking about Christians who claim to bear the name of Jesus, who live and act in ways that profane that name among the nations. That's the kind of cussing we're talking about. The most empty thing that the name of Jesus gets attached to is us. Now, hallelujah that Jesus does not rest his name on perfect people. Boy, we're not looking for that. But I think we've swung in our very individualistic, internet-centric age to thinking that there are times when I'm not representing Jesus and that it's fully okay to be a jerk and to be mean. I, so I, I had the great privilege of teaching in some churches in Southern California for about 20 years that were, that were relatively uh, large. And, I, and I'm not an easily hideable figure out in public. And so I, didn't, I, I, I began to realize that I always had to be aware that people would know who I was that I, and I didn't know who they were. And so there was this one tragic, it really became horribly real to me in Disneyland. A place of tragedy, a place of, of grief. There was, we were there for my daughter's birthday. She wanted lunch at a place called Ariel's Grotto. I don't know if such a place still exists. In Greek, it's called Hades. Um, <laughs> But what you do, the promise of Ariel's Grotto is that the princesses will come out 
and they will kind of, kind of go from table to table, and you will greet them and receive their nod and picture or whatever. And so here we are, and for some reason, I don't know what happened. There are multiple things going on. One is, it took, it took two hours to get our food. Now, that, that's not their goal, because they want to turn people through their... So we sat through two princesses, two realms of princesses, which was awful. So, so secondly, then we're missing all the stuff we want to do in the park. But thirdly, we're paying $38 for a hot dog, grapes, and a juice box. And so our server is, is, is wonderful and kind, but I'm, I'm, I'm so, so angry. I'm so angry at the waste, colossal waste of my life that this is. And I'm, I'm really struggling. And so two hours in, she hands me the check, and she says, hey, I go to your church. So I rewind the last two hours of facial expressions, <laughs> right? Nonverbal behavior, right? And I'm like, oh my Lord, why wouldn't you lead with this? I don't understand. And it would happen in hospitals. Uh, it would happen in the most, re- in bathrooms. I realized I was, what? Oh, I got good stories. I got good stories. <laughs> Q&R if you want more on that. The point is, I realized I was never anonymous. And I always needed to treat people, even if I didn't want to, even if my authentic self was angry and I wanted to cuss somebody out, I did not have the liberty to do that because I bore the name of pastor. How much more so? And I realized, I mean, I realized if I were to wear a shirt that just, hey, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I would treat people differently than I would treat them normally. And if there's the disconnect, if there are places in my life or your life where we think, nope, we're anonymous here, so I can just be awful. I'll never see this person again, so I can really give them a piece of my mind. I think God is far more worried about his church being faithful in that way than his church being evangelistic and inviting people to pray a prayer and join a community that just looks like all the other communities of the world. Are you with me? So we just want to start a conversation about what it is to share our faith by just simply recognizing this isn't guilt, this isn't shame, this is why part of being a Jesus follower is confession and repentance and reconciliation. Because we are colossal screw-ups, yes and hallelujah. The disciples led the way and we follow. No question. But there's another sense in which I find it far too easy to claim my rights, to be my authentic self, to express my whatever ugly emotions they are in the name of being authentic, rather than recognizing I bear the name of Jesus and how I'm acting is witnessing to what I think Jesus is like. Does that make sense? Any questions on this? This is where you get the mic. Sweet Kev. Anything you want to talk about out of this? Because this can go too far, correct? This can go into like, hey, like kids, like you can't be yourselves because you've got to pretend like you love Jesus because it reflects badly on me. That's not what God's doing. It's something much more profound than that. Yeah, anything you want to talk about? Oh, yeah, Cam, yeah. So this whole idea of 
separation and covenant and the people of God are supposed to be distinct, right? Yes. Separate. For me, growing up, that always meant superior. You're always superior. This, right, oh. this like idea of like we're above everybody else. Yes. How do you wrestle with that? Oh. <laughs> Man, that's so brilliant, Cam. What a great question. All right. First of all, chosenness in the Bible is always for service. It's never for superiority, ever. In fact, God will go overboard. So he tells Israel, hey, I chose you not because you're the most numerous or most righteous, just because I set my affection upon you. Paul will say, hey, how many of you were awesome when you were called into Jesus? How many of you were of noble birth and really wealthy and really successful? No, God chooses the weak things and the shameful things, right? Us. So, so in, this, in the scriptures, God's... God's community is always to see themselves under as servants of the people who are outside of the community, never over. One of the problems about, about how I was raised to understand sharing my faith is exactly what you said, Cam. I've got something they need, and, and, and it's so, the stakes are so high, it's okay if I'm not Jesus-like in sharing it. If ever Jesus' commands get in the way of what you think Jesus' agenda is, you've missed his agenda completely, correct? So to love neighbors, to love enemies, to forgive, show mercy, all those things. If we're ever, and that's what I was told, the ship is sinking, guys. You're the only Bible some people are ever going to read, and it doesn't matter how awkward it is or how much they're not interested, you've got to close the sale. Because when you get there, there will be people who say, it's because of you I'm here. And there'll be other people in the other place who'll be like, I wish you told me. And I'm like, show me that. Show me in the text that that's the way this works. The text suggests, and the whole emphasis of the New Testament is that there are communities of countercultural people who bring people into those communities, right, who become followers of the way of Jesus, not as people who are superior, but as people who are most in touch with their need for rescue. That's so good, Cam. And so any form of Jesus following that makes us feel superior to other people is not following Jesus. Because we're following the guy, right, that blessed his enemies while they were crucifying him. So where do we get off claiming rights and superiority? So good. Over here. Um, having talked a lot about God's names, I exist, he exists, Yahweh, God, etc. Do you have any insight on if, on if and how God cares about like how we address him? Because I've gone through phases where I've just said Jesus in terms of in prayer, when I'm talking to him, how he interacts with us. I've been with people who very formally, you know, in prayer always address, like, our father, that thing. I've been with people who call him Papa when they pray to him. So yeah. I'm just curious if, there, if you have any inclination on if he actually has interest in how we refer to him in that regard and how we address the names. That's a great question. That's a great question. Man, we're back. <laughs> Q&R is back. So on the one hand... Um, when Jesus gives us his model prayer, he contrasts it with two kinds of praying in Matthew 6. He says, don't pray meaningless repetition like the pagans do. The pagans would like trust in incantations and formulas and magic words. Don't do that. But also, don't go on the street corners publicizing, 
you know, your great and mighty prayer to God, go and do that in secret. And when you pray in secret, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. Um, and so, so I, I think what God is much more interested in than the name is the posture with which you treat him as you pray. So we, we are, live at the intersection of familiarity and unfamiliarity with God, right? On the one hand, this is the God of the universe. I can't even fathom what God is like. And on the other hand, this is the God revealed at the Christmas through an infant Jesus. And so, so I, and, and Paul even says, we've got a spirit now that allows us to call God Abba Father. As part, like we're children of God. So I think there's room for all of that. I think what Jesus addresses isn't so much what you call God, but rather how you see your relationship with God when you pray. If you're trying to manipulate God through formulas or impress God through your religious language and deeds, you've missed the point. So Jesus, when he, Jesus teaches us his prayer, it's just very clearly the realigning of myself with God's purposes in the world and my volunteering to join him in those purposes. So like when I pray, your Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's that mean? Does that mean I wish Hollywood would quit cussing? Or does that mean, God, I volunteer to be one of the people who keeps the name holy by living in a way that's aligned with it? Does that make sense? So I think there's a great deal of freedom in, in what we call God. There's no prescription about what titles we have to use. But I do think it matters how, how we see the God to whom we're praying. I think that's when that matters. Does that help? That's a great question, my friend. A couple more? So um, back to where you were talking about where uh, you were talking about back in Exodus yes. where he was helping Moses and he was like, I'm helping you because I'm attached to you. My name is attached to you. Yeah. The other day I saw somebody mention that I think it was – it was either that or something about Noah's Ark or something. I don't know. But yeah. it was, someone said that was a bit egotistical almost. Like, do you think that, um, like, why do you think God, he said that it was because it was attached to his name? Do you think yes. that was because he was trying to help the people? Or do you think he was, like, trying to protect his own name? Oh, come on. You guys are on fire. Kevin started it. The fire has spread. Um, yes, it could be egotistical. Like, so I, I'm a pastor. I have three children. The fear is always that they would be pastor's kids. And one of the surest ways to guarantee them being pastor's kids is that you say, you have to behave in church because it looks bad on me if you don't. Right? Then they learn to pretend and they hate the church and resent you. So you could read God doing something similar. Doggone it, guys. How many times have I told you this makes me look bad, right? Yes. So I can see how that sounds that way, absolutely. And if that were the only story that talks about this, I could see where you could get that. But I think what, we're, what, what God's doing here is it's an expression of something we talk a lot about, which is God's desire to reach humans through humans. He desires partners in the whole enterprise, and so God is continually inviting other human communities into his work because he recognizes the best people to minister to the humans are the humans that are called by his name. Does that make sense? So I think in the best, 
best way, this is an expression of God's desire for partnership. I will call you, my name will rest on you, and people will learn about me by the way that you as a community live together. So I think that's an expression of partnership, not ego, but I can see how it could sound that way for sure. That's a great question. Great question. Anything else? Oh, yes. Good morning. Good morning. I think you kind of spoke to this just now, but how do we live authentic lives when we are dealing with anger, disappointment, hurt, and yet still trying to bear God's name? Yes. Oh, that's so great. Okay, this is years of therapy, okay? Because I'm still trying to figure that out. (coughs) Thank you for bringing this up because this this is the hardest issue because on the one hand, I, I want to be my authentic self. I'm, I'm learning how to be fully human and be angry and disappointed and all the negative emotions without trying to cover them up and make them pretty. So that, you know, and, and we, see, we see, I've been a part of churches like this where it, it, everything has to end in a beautiful red bow. No one's ever angry. No one's ever greedy. No one's ever prideful. Blah. But I think we go to the opposite extreme too, where, and this is where I sometimes go, where I don't, I, I, I am so focused on being my authentic self, I don't feel any obligation to represent Jesus well to my neighbor. Um, so how do you walk the line? I have no idea how you might. I only know how I'm trying to. So, so part of, so I, I am a therapy, I joke around, about it, but I am, and I'm learning how to be fully human as a Jesus follower and expressing all of those big emotions, but learning to express and have all of those emotions in a way that draws me into community instead of a way that cuts me off from community. And that to me is the difference. If my, all my big emotions are drawing me towards people, um, then I trust them more than I would if they're pulling, causing me to pull away. So that doesn't mean... Like, I've been rude before to people. And then I will, like, oh, this is a horrible example. I'm learning to play pickleball, okay? There was a very rude guy who, was, who insulted my son and I. And I let him know he was rude. And I told him about it in a very forceful manner. And um, it was not at all Christ-like, not at all. He started it, though, so I felt totally justified. <laughs> And then my son, who knows me, halfway through the game, I go up and I apologize to the guy. And I just, I should never have talked to you that way. I was angry. I was upset. This is totally my fault. I, I totally apologize. My son calls me soft as I'm walking back to play the next point. <laughs> so did I bear God's name in that moment? Yeah. So for me... The bearing of the name isn't on the perfection side of it. The bearing on the, of the name is on the repair side of it. And that's the much harder part to bear the name in, right? So when I get frustrated at my lovely wife, right, and we have an argument, do I, do I seek reconciliation? Do I apologize? Do I seek repair? Those sorts of things. Does that make sense? So the, what Jesus isn't asking of us is to go and pretend we're not angry or go and pretend that we're not disappointed, No, no, no. But it's when that spills over in ways that isn't appropriate that we go back and and represent and witness to the God of reconciliation, the God of forgiveness, the God of humility. Does that make sense? That's the only way I've learned how to kind of work it out because I can't just pretend. That is not at all what Jesus is asking us to do. Such a good question. Do you want to add something to that? No, that was really good. 
And so, oh. But sometimes you just don't get the chance to circle back. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Nope. nope. I have another question. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Oh, twofer. <laughs> All right, last one. All right, I have a kind of a practical question. Yes, ma'am. I know you had talked about bearing God's name in a sense of community. Yeah. And I, I'm sure also individually. Um, but if you're not, like, we live far. Yeah. And so how do you how do you practically do that when your church may be sporadic all over the place? Totally. Living in com, you know, community. Yes. Oh, that's so great. Is this your family? <laughs> they said they didn't say a word. They just sat there. They were like. All right. So there's one way. Right. Right. I mean, there's there. I mean, how the two of you reconcile and love each other, even when you're whatever out of your mind, and how you raise a family and treat neighbors, man, all of that is so beautiful, yes. So, and the other thing is, we have such a narrow conception of what church is, we only think we're referring to the meeting here. See, this meeting, this is a staff meeting. This isn't the meeting where the work happens. This is where we're reminded of how glorious the opportunities are out there. And we're just refreshed through prayer and worship and sacrament and all the things so that we go out there, we're operating out of more of an overflow than just if I were living it and doing it by myself. So, so one of the things, and then uh, very practically, Kevin talked about this last week. One of the reasons why we do this thing called the table is our hope is that people begin to do that without scheduling it with the church. In other words, we take communion, and that's, that's the theological table. That's the reminder that we're gift recipients. We're benefactor, beneficiaries of God's hospitality to us. And then, as a church, we share that hospitality with each other once a month. But that's, the goal isn't that we just stop there. The goal is then that same hospitality that we've received and practiced with each other that we now begin to extend towards people on uh, traveling soccer teams or people at the school board or neighbors. So I have, a, I, have a very, I have a very intentional way when it's much warmer out of how I try to bear witness to my neighbors. That has nothing to do with telling them I'm a pastor and asking them where they think they're going to heaven when I die. But it has everything to do with trying to be a good, good neighbor to them and extending the same hospitality I have in Christ to them. Does that help at all? Yes. And? Well, it made me more like, oh. so traditionally, like in churches, they have small groups. Yes. And that is a way that people can gather together and get community and get rooted in service. And yes. Community. Yeah. But I'm saying, so if you're in a church where there's people all over the place, and you yeah. may not have a small group, yeah. um, are you, I'm just trying to say, how do you show your, how do you bear God's name as a community in everyday life? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm sorry I spent five minutes not answering your question. <laughs> That's why we call this, Kevin makes sure he's like, this is not question and answer, this is question and response. Because the answers aren't always very good. How about this? I've got I've to pull the plug on this part right now. Can I, can I talk to you after the service? And, the, and meet your family? All right. <laughs> Okay, you guys are awesome. So we're going to spend some more time just talking about how, um, how the early church became such a compelling community that people, they, they weren't out there having to like 
throw up verses at football games or, you know, uh, have signs. Um, they, they weren't having to um, have little tracks that they would give and, all, you know, whatever, whatever you think about those things. But there was something about the nature of their community that was so compelling. That's the part we want to reflect on. But it starts with just the idea that we're never anonymous. We're never anonymous. We bear the name of Jesus. And again, not, we're not pretending. But what we are doing is, I would think we'd all agree, it should make a difference if someone worships Jesus of Nazareth or not. And if it doesn't, then let's do something else with Sundays and every, every other day. But if it does, then we just want to lean more into what that is. Not out of guilt or shame or some sort of duty to the world, but rather out of, we think this is the best way to be human. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion, always. We're going to have people up here and in the back serving communion. And then, as always, you can go um, to the stations around the room and take communion yourself if you'd like. Um, There are also, at the stations, there are also pieces of paper where you can write down things we can pray for. And we would be so honored. Whatever is going on in your life, we would be so honored to pray for that. On Tuesdays, our staff gathers together. We pray over those. And it's a really, really important exercise for us. So I'm gonna pray, and then you're invited to participate whatever way you see fit. Lord Jesus, we love you. And Lord, I pray that this, uh, this conversation wouldn't be burdening Lord, we don't need more of that. But God, there would be a a, a sense of relief that it isn't all up to us, your work in the world. There'd be a sense of awareness that you're always at work around us. There isn't one place we're going where you're not already at work. But there would also, at least for me, be a sense of conviction where I begin to see myself as somebody who's never anonymous. Somebody who just has the right to be mean and angry. Lord, we want to be a community of humility and reconciliation, forgiveness. So to that end, Holy Spirit, would you stir in us just um, an awakening towards those areas of life where we sort of skip over the whole love your neighbor and love your enemy part. Father, we worship, we turn our attention to you. We ask that you would speak and minister among us in the name of Jesus, amen.